Welcome to the Today's Market Explained podcast, hosted by Brian Castle. Brian has been a financial advisor for over 35 years and is the founder of Four Star Wealth in Chicago. He will be sharing the most important investment opportunities out there in ways that are easy to understand and hopefully even easier for you to benefit from. Brian will also be interviewing subject matter experts who can give insights into new and exciting investment opportunities. To see all the best video highlights from every episode, please follow at Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Now, on to the episode. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the four-star Today's Market Explained a video and podcast series. Uh, I am your host, Brian Castle, uh, and I am here with my partner, Chris Reardon, co-host. Uh, Chris is the master of all uh, development. Uh, all things portfolio, training reports, leads our whole development and recruiting team. Uh, and uh, he's the master of three children under the age of two years old. It's unbelievable. Chris, welcome to our podcast again today. Thank you, Brian. I don't know if I would say I'm master of them, but uh, I'd say I'm driven crazy by them would be more accurate. But uh, thank you. Glad to be here. Good afternoon. And uh, glad to talk a little, about, a little bit about the markets. We'll call you Super Dad. How's that? <laughs> I'm Brian Castle. I'm the founder and CEO of Four Star Wealth Advisors, Eagle Scout uh, National Foundation, of the Boy Scouts trustee, philanthropic advisor, advisor to CEOs and insiders, and the chief dad to Quinn and Evan and husband to the amazing Trippy. Um, before we get started, everybody, if you like what you're hearing, please tell your friends and please send them a copy of this. And then also um, give us a five out of five ranking. Uh, that's uh, important to us as we build our brand as a team. So we're going to do our traditional review today. We're going to do markets, the economy, and then generally what we see out there. Uh, Chris, we have seen a little bit of a rally after a really rough market coming into November. So November is going to probably end upward. Uh, what's our positioning now? What's, what's in the lead? What's working? What's not working? Yeah, so we still have cash in the number one position, which is defensive. Uh, but it has come off the top a little bit. Um, it's at 242, uh, and it's lost 10 points from the last podcast. So it is moving downwards, albeit somewhat slowly. Uh, commodities still hold the number two position at 218, and it lost two points from the last podcast. So it's remained relatively stable in that number two position. Uh, domestic equities holds the number three position at 190, and it's lost three points. So it's remained relatively stable too. Uh, the biggest mover, the biggest winner, I guess you could say, was international equities. Uh, it's at 177 now. Uh, it moved from the fifth position to the fourth position, and it uh, gained 32 points from the last podcast. Wow. Uh, so, so that was the big winner. Uh, fixed income um, moved from fourth to fifth position. Uh, it's at 144, and it's lost seven points from the last podcast. So the international move was more on it moving upwards necessarily than fixed income collapsing um, and moving to fifth. Currencies is still in the sixth position. It's at 119, and it's, it lost two points. Uh, so it's been uh, relatively flat as well. So um, not, a, not a whole lot of movement. I mean, cash and international were the two big ones, but I'd say this, the, the story, if you will, um, would, would have been international equities and the big move it had. So the uh, predictions of international equities leading or coming on strong has been rumored for years and, and it's never really worked. Well, we saw that in the, in, in the period between this 
podcast and the last one, we saw some big movement international. The dollar has been so strong for so long and maybe now um, a big part of the international stock move would be currency. So the dollar hasn't been as strong than international stocks are run. Although the international markets in many ways are still more efficient, inefficient than the American markets. And so that's why American markets have outperformed for a long time. Uh, but there will be a renaissance. So maybe we're beginning that now, Chris, maybe it's possible. Yeah, potentially. I mean, we've talked about it. I think going back to 2017, 2017 that we talked about that, that international was gonna have its big year and still hasn't really, really had its big year. So uh, who knows, maybe 2023 is, is international's year. Um, certainly have, has fallen off a little bit and they certainly have a rough track, but you never know what rises from the dust. Well, in all year since uh, last December, uh, we've had a big commodity rally in the first quarter and the second quarter, and then it faded, and then it came back, then it faded, coming back again a little bit here. Uh, so commodities continue to be good, although we mentioned this many times in the podcast, if commodities continue to be a strong asset class, that's actually a cost to business and a cost to people. It lowers earnings. It hurts the economy long-term. Commodity prices are higher. Uh, certainly good for the commodity purveyors and oil uh, companies and things like that. But uh, nonetheless, uh, commodities are high for a long time. That's probably not a good thing for the economy. So uh, we would look to commodities fading and, and equity stocks. And the stocks are now in the third position to come back up to position one or two with cash being number one, commodities being number two. So we're clearly in a what they call a bear market. Um, where all uh, forms of growth are low ranked as far as performance. So that's what we're seeing right now. Um, interesting. So that's the state of the market uh, as we see it now. Um, we've still seen a tech stock slaughter. Uh, the technology stocks were the strongest, of course, in the, in the growth periods. Uh, we have, have made uh, kind of joking references to the 20% plunge club and the 30% plunge club and the 40% plunge club. And we've seen Tesla go down to as little as $167 from well over three and $400 a share. Uh, so a lot of really, really painful Amazon's down 50% plus. So some of those big names that couldn't lose have lost a lot this year. Uh, Apple, Google, um, no matter what the earnings, no matter what the earnings have been, the earnings are good, they went down, earnings are bad, they went down, uh, or they maybe have rallied for a day and then they'd still go down. So it's been pretty, pretty tough. Um, we've also seen, Chris, in the markets, the crypto uh, markets, the tremors as the market reacted sharply to crypto. And then we just had that big bankruptcy of the F FTX group with Sam Bankman Fried in charge. Uh, you heard about all that, Chris. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was uh, probably one of the biggest, it might even be, come down to be one of the biggest bankruptcies in American history, uh, crazy enough. But yeah, um, you know, it, coming into November, there was um, the potential that Rival Binance was going to buy out FTX, but I think Rival got, or the Binance, the Rival got wind of, you know, a lot of the faulty accounting. There was a lot of issues, um, corruption issues, if you will. Uh, going on with FTX and they pulled out of the deal at the last minute, which sealed the fate of FTX. And, you know, that's put a crushing blow to the uh, cryptocurrency markets as it really struggled. And, and I think they're still going to struggle, at least in the short term, to really gain 
legitimacy again because thousands of people lost money. I mean, that, that, that exchange was like a bank, if you will, in the cryptocurrency world. And if you had your money there, a lot of people just lost, lost what they had. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, we, we do know now that the special master that took over once the bankruptcy was filed is the same leader who uh, took over the Enron bankruptcy as well. And the comments were made that this is the worst uh, set of governance he's ever seen. Uh, there were, as you say, Chris, there were rumors of that, but they didn't disclose much. And uh, apparently they falsified their filings. Uh, and so, you know, there was really uh, many ways, uh, you know, fraud involved. And they say this is the biggest fraud out there, bigger than Madoff, bigger than Enron. Uh, so uh, the same leaders who were running Enron know. So it's really not a good situation. Although some people called it uh, chairman of the CME, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, Terry Duffy, met Sam Bankman-Fried uh, a number of years ago and, and uh, in the discussions not getting much information, apparently called Sam Bankman free to fraud to his face at the time. And uh, I guess they had words and they said, this is not something we want to be involved in. So not everybody got hornswoggled by this uh, young leader, apparently, but there are now reports of uh, large yachts and homes being, being purchased with money. And right before the bankruptcy filing, 400 million went missing. Sam Bankman freed ended up in the Bahamas on his way to South America, they're trying to get him extradited to the United States. So that's a soon to be determined story. We don't know what's gonna happen there, Chris, but uh, here we go again with uh, you know, Theranos, uh, the lady at Theranos got 11.25 years for complete fraud and not disclosing information. And now we have Sam Bankman-Fried. So um, there, are some, uh, there are some bad finance people out there, Chris. Yeah, I mean it's it's crazy thinking it's seen too. Um, there's also some lawsuits being thrown around at some major celebrities because they had some major celebrities who not only were investors but were also endorsing it. Uh, for those of you, if you guys remember, last year there were commercials like around the Super Bowl with Tom Brady or with you know, major superstar athletes, kind of endorsing, saying they you know, and um, you know people are going around suing them now, saying they, they trusted them. So it's it's a high profile case. It's certainly been in the news, um, and it's 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 pretty major. Yes, and you know there's also major uh, donations uh, made by uh, Sam Bankman-Fried. Much of it coming out of the company, and apparently it was just company money uh, given away to politicians. Um, you know, both parties got involved, although. Uh, the Democratic Party listed Sam Bankman-Fried as the number two donor behind George Soros. So the Democrats definitely were deep in there. But upon further examination, the Republicans had some donors, uh, uh, you know, that came in through the FTX group to Mitch McConnell and a few other folks. So, so no, no there was uh, plenty of pain to go around. Yeah, well, you didn't discriminate <laughs> where he was bribing people, I guess. Not, be not completely. Partially, but not completely. But yeah, uh, they just use the money as a piggy bank, and it's really a shame. Um, and then in the market too, uh, big big news about Disney. Uh, the the CEO that came in to replace Bob Iger a year ago is out now. Um, as in the last year, Disney lost their special tax exemption, the Reedy Creek District, uh, in in near outside of Orlando. A uh, whole series of other woke policies had led the board to uh, finally get rid of 
uh, the CEO, and they brought Bob Iger back for, what, two years, I think. So we'll see what Bob does. I know he's temporary, but they need to find a whole new leader rather than the previous guy. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, Bob Iger was, uh, well, they're both Bob, but Bob Iger was, uh, you know, I think instrumental in acquiring Marvel. Uh, he's the one that launched their Disney Plus platform. So I think they're hoping that he can kind of come in and right the ship a little bit. Uh, obviously, during Bob Chapek's uh, tenure, there's a lot of controversy there. You had uh, kind of the tiff with uh, Florida and the Florida governor. You had the uh, pulling of certain tax exemptions they had. So uh, it's been a choppy road the last couple of years. I think the investors kind of got sick of it. And, um, you know, hopefully, you know, I think Bob Iger will do a good job. I think he, he has a good understanding. And I think that role, Disney CEO, you can't just be the Joe Schmo CEO. I think you have to kind of be out in front. You have to carry that charismatic uh, Walt Disney-esque uh, kind of role. And I think Bob Iger does a better job of that than, than Chappick did anyway. So um, it'll be interesting. I think it's promising that they, they made that move. Yes. So we'll see if they turn things around at Disney. And, you know, because of all the things going on in the economy, markets are back down near the lows with the uh, tech stocks down 30% and the S&P, which is the broader based index uh, down near 20 um, with a little bit of a rally in the last couple of days. Uh, but, uh, you know, we'll see what the markets will do. But a lot of it depends on the economy, Chris. So let's talk about what's going on in the economy. Uh, you had some view on workforce uh, issues. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So uh, the uh, employer numbers came out for October and employers added 261,000 jobs in October, which is the fewest additions since uh, December 2020. Uh, so we continue to see uh, a slowing there, albeit I will say, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, the tech uh, firings, the tech, um, uh, I would say, you know, kind of meltdown to a degree that's been going on. You know, Twitter and Meta both announced large layoffs uh, with, I think, Meta, they were laying off over 11,000 people. And you have Redfin, who shut down its home flipping business, and they're laying off 13% of their staff. So. You have, you have one kind of side of the coin, really, which is mostly the technology sector, uh, not, not solely, but mostly that is laying off. Uh, but then I think you also have the service sector, and the service sector has been still relatively strong. Uh, even going into the fall now, we've still seen spending. Uh, the consumer has still been willing to spend. That may change over the coming months, but while the demand's still been there, we've seen uh, still the service sector has held up pretty well. Uh, and even on top of that, we've, um, you know, possibly seen some hiring there, essentially at 261,000 numbers. So um, the jobs market, although it is slowing, uh, is still holding relatively well, albeit we could see that change coming in the next year. Yes. So um, we've also seen some interesting numbers uh, regarding employment. So the employment numbers are really tight with unemployment relatively low. But when you, upon further examination, uh, there are still about three to four million adult males that are out of the workforce. So if those folks are back in the workforce, the unemployment rate would be a lot higher. Um, certain industries need people. And so there's still some hiring going on. But there's a lot of people that are not raising their hand anymore when the question is, are you looking for work? They're, they're not because there are payments from COVID. Uh, they know there's other payments coming out. So there's still money out there ready to come out. So the employment numbers are tight but it, it masks the fact 
that a lot of folks are not back in the workforce, which we really need, don't we? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and I think this is going to be something potentially picking in the long haul. I mean, you know, we've obviously birth rates are down. I mean, potentially we could see a heavy slowing kind of going off over the next, you know, century, 100 years. And I think, to, for example, this is what what's really uh, hurt uh, Japan is that Japan, you know, runs into this issue where they have a really aging population and not much of a young population uh, to kind of uh, replenish. So, um, you know, I think it's going to be interesting. We, we've seen, I think you have the aging population aspect, but you also have uh, what we've talked about on here before, which is we've had policies in the last, you know, two years, if you will, post-pandemic that have emphasized maybe being able to work, you know, earn a wage without working, things like that. I think some of that's led, led to it as well. Hopefully that's starting to get washed out a little bit, especially with the job market tightening. Uh, but, you know, it's going to be interesting in the next two years, kind of um, the, so four years really full post-pandemic to see kind of, does that fully get washed out? And what is the, um, you know, birth rate, I think for a long-term look like. Yeah. Well, you mentioned all those tech layoffs, Chris, uh, you know, Lyft uh, laid off 13%, Stripe laid off 14%, um, 11,000 jobs, first ever layoffs at, at, uh, at, at Meta, which is Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. um, yep. Elon Musk is laying off 50%. He laid off a third of his employees in the first week and he's going to 50%. Now they had 7,500 employees and there's rumor he's gonna try and bring it down to as little as a thousand employees and run it much more efficiently. And uh, knowing Elon Musk, he's the kind of guy that could pull it off. He's getting a lot of negative press right now because there's a lot of people who are against what he's doing, but obviously a lot of people are losing their job and plus they're changing what was a very cushy situation for some people who didn't like certain kind of messages across Twitter and, and, and Elon Musk is opening up uh, Twitter for all speech and not just certain protected political speech. So um, we'll see what ends up coming at Twitter. Something tells me that Elon Musk will figure out how to make money with it. Yeah, I mean, he certainly has a record of, of doing that. I mean, I think one, one positive aspect is he certainly carries a certain bravado with him, right? Um, but I think the key is, in my mind, there's a short-term and a long-term play. And obviously, short-term, he's very hands-on. That's something that can't happen long-term. I mean, he, he's the CEO right now, essentially, of three companies, <laughs> Tesla, SpaceX, and Twitter. Um, right. He's made it known that long-term, he wants to bring in a CEO uh, that he believes will run it more effectively. So uh, I'll be curious who that hire is. I think that'll tell a lot. Um, but, you know, I think with that bravado, I, I think he will find a way to make it work. I mean, I think mm -hmm. that he does have a very good following, I think, he, and he's built a reputation, I think, of, of uh, you know, hard work and, and building something that, that works well and, and, is, and, and a quality product. Yes. Well, and, and so um, now we'll see all what happens to the economy with all those layoffs. Chris, you mentioned about uh, inflation has been really, really high for 40-year uh, 40, 40 highs. Uh, but it's been leveling off, hasn't it? Yeah, so, um, you know, one of the things, like, it's the hot topic right now is obviously inflation and uh, the October CPI uh, numbers, which kind of the inflation numbers came in and they came in at 7.7% year over year, which is the smallest yearly increase since January. Um, so that's positive. We're starting to see that slow, albeit 7.7 is still a pretty high number. 
Uh, you know, two years ago, if someone said that inflation was 7.7%, I'm pretty sure a lot of people would be uh, freaking out about that, <laughs> to say the least. But now we feel good about it. <laughs> but now we feel good about it, exactly. Uh, because that 7.7 7 number was down from 8.2% in September, so it was down slightly. Uh, and, you know, we're seeing a little bit of uh, give and take with it. Shelter costs rose in October. Uh, they were the major contributor to over half that 7.7 that 7 number. So you still continue to see a spike in shelter costs, mostly rents. Uh, but used car prices, uh, conversely, cooled for the fourth consecutive month. So uh, mm -hmm. we're seeing a lot of areas of the market that are more interest sensitive uh, pull back significantly, uh, but we are seeing other areas uh, kind of continue to accelerate. So um, the core CPI, I think, which, is, which excludes food and energy, that was up 6.3% uh, year over year in October, and that decelerated from 6.6% in September. So uh, a deceleration there, albeit is a little bit slower. Um, so, um, you know, that's one of the reasons I think a lot of people have speculated that, um, you know, the Fed is going to slow the rate hikes. And that's also, I think, one of the reasons we've seen the, the markets bounce back a little bit here. Yes. Well, um, so disinflation is uh, all the rage now. Inflation was all the rage. Now disinflation is all the rage where, where things are going down now a little bit from the highs. Um, and uh, we talked about many parts of the economy are still hiring. Uh, it's a characteristic of, of an economy with inflated prices. Some companies are still showing inflated prices and uh, in, in addition, inflated profits. So they feel like they're okay to hire. It might end up being a big mistake um, because if the economy does really slow down, they'll regret those hires. But nonetheless, they feel like they're in that position to hire. So that's why also unemployment hasn't been uh, that negative because there were some parts of the economy that were hiring. Um, however, uh, earlier in the month, um, everyone thought, well, maybe the Fed uh, has raised the rates so quickly that they're going to pivot now and start to let rates flatten and lower rates. <clears throat> but the Fed hasn't made any change like that at all. And in fact, uh, coming up to that last rate hike, there was rumors that they might. And of course, they came right out and they were just as hawkish as they always have been in the, this year and said, no, we're gonna keep raising rates and we're not gonna stop until we've whipped inflation, but uh, people wanted to believe. And so the markets reacted very sharply, uh, negatively to the rate, rate hike, but no one should have expected anything different. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think sometimes the general mood kind of talks themselves into things and that's kind of what happened for about a week. And somebody spread a rumor out there that the Fed might start to pivot. Never was gonna happen, didn't happen, probably won't happen for the near term. <laughs> So I think everybody should expect the Fed's going to stay, stay on this raising interest rate path or not lowering for sure if they stop raising for quite a while. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that, yeah, I think there's always this interject to hope, right? And I think people are very hopeful that they're going to, to stop. I don't think they'll stop either. They might slow. I would certainly see them pot potentially starting to slow the, the rate increases, but uh, stopping, I think, is, is still a little ways off uh, before they yeah. do the full pivot. Yeah. So the Fed will continue on with no change. Now, I will point out, too, that some say that inflation has not peaked. Inflation will go back up. And part of the reason they feel that way is um, when we went through the COVID era, there were literally uh, between all the money that the Fed in injected into the economy 
and then also the money that Congress authorized over uh, $8 trillion worth of spending, much of that spending hasn't uh, been injected into the economy. So we've seen what's happened with a much smaller amount of spending than they've authorized. Of course, these are record levels of spending anyway. About 40 to 50% of the COVID authorized spending is still either in Congress, authorized but not issued, not spent. And part of it was set to be released in 23 and 24. So if you look at it, if the uh, COVID is over, uh, which most believe the president said that in September, and there's small uh, you know, brush fires of COVID in various areas, but as far as a pandemic, that's over. Uh, but yet all the spending is still yet to come out. So maybe that's spending we didn't need. So um, spending that was authorized to not come out till 23, 24 is by definition not spending we need for COVID because COVID, COVID's over. So um, if the current Congress that's coming in, uh, the new change in leadership uh, is thinking clearly they might want to get rid of that spending because that's been causing a lot of the inflation that's out there. So, um, you know, I guess our politicians once again uh, deceived us and used the uh, COVID as the pretext to more spending. So if they're spending right before an, an election, uh, the people in power can get reelected. And so that I think was the strategy. So um, that's kind of what we're seeing. So we'll see what the new Congress does. Uh, if they're smart, they'll probably pull back on some of that spending. It'll be better for our national debt, which is at record levels uh, now and very scary. Also, uh, we'll protect our children and grandchildren against uh, the ills of a, of a government with too, way too much debt. Um, so we'll see uh, what happens now as the new Congress comes in in January. Um, then when you hear the president talk about uh, what's going on in the economy, um, some people have gone to the point of calling him Baghdad Bob uh, with the eye toward uh, Bag or Baghdad Biden with an eye toward Baghdad Bob. Uh, basically, uh, when asked about uh, the economy, whether we're in a recession, he said, we're not anywhere near a recession, which is really not credible. You know, we've been in a recessionary environment all year. First two quarters were negative, and that's a definition of de facto recession right there, two quarters of negative growth. The third quarter was positive growth at 2.6, but exports are 2.8. So American growth was negative 0.2 albeit with a, 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 a number that was up overall for the quarter. So we've been in a recessionary, recessionary uh, environment for the entire year. Um, and now we'll see what the fourth quarter is like, but uh, that's not even close to credible to say that we're nowhere near a recession. We're probably in one. Um, our president does blame the oil companies for higher gas prices. Again, another dodge. Um, uh, he does say, however, there's no guarantee inflation will go down. Uh, to try to uh, win the day and make sure that uh, the public uh, understands that, you know, he's on top of it, but uh, we can't guarantee it'll go down to, to kind of give themselves a little bit of breathing room. But when asked directly what the president will do differently to the economy, he said, I will do nothing. And part of that had to do with the election didn't go as red as everyone thought it would. We'll cover that in a minute. Uh, so uh, Biden seems to be emboldened, Chris, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, that gave some hope to him that he was doing the right thing. I think that um, electors voted with different thoughts, different priorities in mind, not necessarily economics. Usually it's economics that takes forefront, but I think 
just with this, the way everything shook out this year, there were other topics that, that I think took precedent in a lot of voters' minds. Um, you know, I think that it's gonna be really interesting. I think like you said, Brian, with the oil companies, especially, um, you know, what damage would that do to the long term? You're already seeing a lot of companies uh, pivot towards green energies just because that's, that's the only place they can. And I think one important aspect just, just to highlight is green energy is definitely gonna be more expensive. Uh, so, you know, if we are going to make this massive move over to green energy or, or companies are going to force us to essentially because that's the direction they're, they're being pushed in, uh, we can expect to see inflation around for the next decade, if not longer, unless we do a mm -hmm. complete 180 on policy change. Yes. Well, now, Chris, you've uh, taken a look at the international markets as well. There's some interesting things going there. Let's kick around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think some of the developments in the Ukraine war, uh, Russia recently withdrew its troops from uh, Kurzon, uh, which is the only major city that had even taken, uh, fully taken really since the beginning of the war, uh, the Russian war uh, with Ukraine. Uh, so it's a major, major uh, blow to their war effort. Uh, Ukraine continues to, to gain ground. Um, you know, I think it's important to point that out because hopefully, you know, one way or the other, I think hopefully we see a, an end to the war because uh, uh, the longer it goes on, I think the, the more impact it has on the global economy as a whole and the possibility it spills into something larger. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we saw a missile uh, that uh, by mistake flew into Poland, killed two people. Um, you know, I think they they discovered, or at least what they said was they discovered it was a uh, Ukrainian missile, counter-defensive missile that, that, that struck them. But you know, for a while there, there's the expectation it was Russia and the potential of World War III. So um, it's positive that Ukraine's moving in the right direction. They're pushing the Russians back out and hopefully they can, that continues. Yes. Uh, the, other, the other thing I'll highlight is in China. So one of the big movers, and I think the one of the biggest movers are, uh, for the international front outside of the, the weak dollar is China. Uh, so there's been a lot of speculation that China is going to get rid of its uh, kind of zero COVID policy uh, that's now infamous because uh, it's had a huge impact on the global markets. Uh, While China's leadership body reaffirmed the zero COVID policy, um, so that kind of squashed any speculation. And on top of that, they're starting to see a lot of massive outbreaks. Uh, Guangzhou, which one is one of the largest Chinese cities, uh, had a sharp spike in cases and is close to being locked down now. And then recently we saw the first death in Beijing. Uh, so we could see that spike um, and we could see a lockdown there. So that's important to point out. I mean, we've felt the ripples of, of these China's, Chinese lockdowns uh, through the supply chain in America. Um, you know, when things get backward because they can't, Apple can't get the parts or, or other major companies. So um, if they continue and we do see a spike, which most likely we will on COVID there, uh, we could see these supply chains get roiled again. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Um, so the international economy is still uh, kind of a mess in some ways, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's still similar to the U.S. market. You'd say it's very news driven, right? I mean, if we have China move away from zero COVID and we have the Ukrainian Russia more end, we could see a big bump and boost in the international markets or the exact opposite. You know, it's there's not a lot of clarity we can gain from it. Yeah. Well, and back to America, Chris, you know, um, 
There's been a union renaissance going on as well. Uh, there's rumored to be a large rail strike and that's still pending. Uh, it could even happen today uh, with uh, all the people looking to travel over to cause havoc for people looking to travel over the Thanksgiving weekend. Um, you know, so uh, we'll see if that happens. They're looking for a 24% salary increase. They want a multi-year deal. They want more time off. Of course, when, uh, when, when um, uh, employment is tight and uh, you know, the unions have more power, so they're looking for more benefits. Starbucks um, is having more and more locations unionized on a location by location basis. They're still trying to unionize the whole company that hasn't happened yet, but there's a move afoot to do that. And there's now also a push after certain communities had you know, $15 minimum wage. Now there's talk of a $25 minimum wage. Uh, there's certain labor groups that are pushing for a $25 minimum wage, which is everybody knows who studied economics, when you raise a minimum wage, you actually cause unemployment. So it actually in many ways hurts the people it's supposed to help, except for the, the ones that keep their job. But you know, a certain number of people, hundred, you know, tens to hundreds of thousands will lose their job if they keep raising the minimum wage. So it's good for some and not good for others. Um, so we'll see if there's labor power can continue to, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, kind of get the waiting the increases they want uh, in, in, in the economy. And then one other comment I want to make, Chris, uh, you know, we heard this, I mentioned this before, we heard this idea uh, about three or four months ago about a concept called quiet quitting, where people were not necessarily happy with their job, but they were quitting by not working hard. So they're coming into the office and just sitting there reading newspapers, not doing their work. Now there's a productivity measurement at every company. So I kind of, when I heard that, I thought, well, that's a little crazy. Well, sure enough, um, you know, now most of the media outlets that were saying quiet quitting is on are saying quiet quitting is over. And I, I have to say, I think it was rather, rather a, a kind of absurd thought process anyway. So I don't, I don't think quiet, quiet quitting is something if you're not working, you're eventually going to get fired and be, people can measure your productivity. So quiet quitting, I think, is over and never was actually. And so let's move on from the whole discussion of quiet quitting. Um, Chris, what do we see out there? Uh, the World Cup is done, isn't it? Yep. So uh, this week started the World Cup, which has been just a world with so much controversy. You had a, the World Cup's usually in summer, for those of you that remember, and they had to move it to uh, December, which is you know, caused havoc for a lot of the premier leagues over in Europe. And that's because obviously the World Cup's in Qatar, which in the summer temperatures are 120 plus degrees. So it's hard to play soccer when, when it's that warm out. Um, but the recent uh, scandal is uh, right before, I think it was the day before the World Cup was due to start, uh, Qatar pulled out of the deal to allow fans to consume alcoholic beverages in the stadium. And it was a couple hours before and after the um, the games, they were you know allowed to sell alcoholic beverages. Uh, this put Budweiser in a pretty interesting predicament. So Budweiser pays millions upon millions of dollars to be the exclusive beverage uh, and have exclusive beverage rights to the World Cup. Well, now they've been relegated to some VIP tents. You know, for people that pay ten thousand dollars plus for tickets. Uh, that's one of the few areas in Qatar that you're allowed to uh, sell or drink alcohol uh, and then hotels. Uh, but obviously hotels are, you know, uh, Budweiser doesn't have much say necessarily. 
uh, neither does the World Cup as far as what's sold in the hotel. So uh, interesting kind of late predicament there, I think. And it's it's going to be really interesting, the legal fallout, because Budweiser was probably anticipating millions of dollars worth of sales uh, from this uh, event. And now that's kind of gone down the drain uh, due to kind of the last minute whims of the country. Yes, uh, interesting. Uh, there's always lots of corruption involved in things like the World Cup and the Olympics and uh, as, as countries fight for advantage. Um, we're, we're also seeing a lot of changes in the housing market with interest rates spiking so quickly. Um, in, in the month of October, we saw 60,000 canceled contracts of previously contracted homes to buy uh, that were canceled 17.9% of the contracts out there in the, in the month of October. So some changes are happening in that housing market, clearly from higher interest rates, the mortgage industry has been laying off people left and right. And there's an estimate of almost 75% of the mortgage uh, brokers out there have been uh, removed from their company because uh, there's just not as much demand right now. So uh, how that all affects the economy, we don't know. Um, we also expected to see a red wave on uh, election because the economy has been so bad and the polls are showing that folks who are blaming mostly the current administration for that. But yet there were other things that happened. Uh, the uh, one party was able to uh, ch you know, challenge people in primaries to get candidates that they wanted, that they felt they could defeat more uh, better. Um, in the case of, in this case, it was the Democrats uh, going after the Republicans and trying to get uh, Donald Trump-related MAGA candidates that they could defeat. Well, it worked out perfectly for them. They managed to get eight major candidates, either for governor or Senate, uh, that were more of that ilk, supported by President Trump, and all eight of them lost uh, for the ones that they attempted to get. So uh, politics ain't beanbag, as they say, and, and that, that strategy definitely worked. So uh, the uh, party in power that was very, very down in the polls managed to stave off the red uh, wave, um, you know, like uh, Blake Masters and, and, and others uh, who lost um, Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. So the, the Republican Party still needs to come up with an identity and to be clear about what they what they are doing uh, and not just be uh, involved in investigations now that they've taken the House. So we'll see. We'll see where all that goes. All that affects the business. All that affects the economy as well. Uh, but that's a little bit more inside baseball right now. Uh, Chris, you know, going into this holiday season, we're going to see the most expensive price people have ever paid for turkey. <laughs> well, that would uh, stand, uh, I be, believe, be true with uh, food prices. They're up, I think they're up like 20% now uh, this year with all the inflation. They sure are. And, uh, you know, so hopefully folks can enjoy that. There's certainly plenty of, of food uh, banks and, and whatnot that, that folks can get a meal at and different organizations that are offering uh, breaks on, on uh, you know, Thanksgiving dinners. But hopefully everybody can enjoy, um, you know, but uh, spend, Turkey is the most expensive in history. So um, anyway, but we're, we're hoping everyone does have a good Thanksgiving. Uh, we're taping this the Wednesday before. Thanksgiving. And so uh, tonight is a night of partying before Thanksgiving. Everybody be careful out there. It's a scary time to be on the road sometimes the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving as lots of parties happen and lots of a uh, lot of uh, wild activity. Let's put it this way. Um, so everybody be careful out there. Um, Chris, uh, just to recap our blog posts for everybody who's listening, uh, we had a recent since our last podcast, 
uh, an article about how rate hikes actually worsen labor market inequality. So uh, it, it, it just the fact that isn't uh, necessarily something that we're lobbying to change. It's just people need to understand, you know, some of the effects of rate hikes are actually causing labor market inequality more so. But hopefully, when things change um, and and the rate rate hikes slow down, that the labor market equality will come back in a in a better way. We also put a piece out about logistics can limit the elasticity of gas prices. So. Let me explain that. When uh, oil prices go up, uh, gas at the pump goes up. But when oil prices go down, gas at the pump doesn't necessarily go down right away. Uh, so there's always a lag to lower prices. There always seems to be a hurry to raise prices, right? And, and that's natural. Anyone who is a price holder will, want to, will not want to give up their price if they can. So eventually the market forces competitors to, to, to fight against each other to lower the price. And that's why when President Biden said that oil prices are being caused by oil companies, well, I don't think so. They compete against each other and eventually oil, oil prices will go down, but it's natural for there to be a lag as everybody tries to hold their price and, key and, pre, and, and increase their profit margins, but it doesn't last very long. And that's what we're seeing now a little bit with some gas prices coming down. And then we also put out, uh, that was in the blog post, we put it on another blog post about competition and disclosure that will lead to lower prices and drugs. Now there's many discussions about, can we have legislation that forces drug prices to go lower? And if we do that, then we're having government control the price. Aren't we, Chris? I mean, that, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure that ever worked before. Um, but what if we had disclosure where drug, all drug prices had to be disclosed to the public and competing drugs had to be available as well? wouldn't that lead to lower prices? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, providing, I think, transparency, we've seen that in the financial industry too, right? Um, and, and, and things have come down there as well. So, I mean, it allows the consumer to make a more educated decision, which I think is the, is the, the proper thing to do. Yeah, that's right. So um, the more information that's out there, the more informed decision people can make, whether it be about drugs or medical procedures. And so that we think is really the answer uh, to uh, prices going down. So I think uh, the, hopefully the, the next Congress pushes for better disclosure, better information. And so we have an article in our recent blog post on that competition leading to lower drug and, and healthcare costs. Uh, then also um, we did some podcast interviews and, and um, recently we had Michael Friedman and Michael Friedman is the founder and CEO of Lighthouse Life. They're in the business of life settlements as a business. 90% of life insurance policies go uh, unused, unpaid, and they lapse. Uh, but there's value there. And who gets that value? The life insurance companies. So we did a, an interview with Michael to talk all about that industry. And so they've developed a business as well as a number of other companies where they're helping individuals uh, sell their policy. The policy is no longer needed, but it has value. So they can sell their policy to firms like Lighthouse Life and others. Uh, and then they can uh, then yield some value from that. They then repackage them and sell them to long-term holders uh, that actually want to hold those life insurance policies as assets. So um, that's an interesting art, uh, interview. We also did an interview with Michael Kading, a real estate developer in Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, with a model to lower cost of housing. We have not seen housing prices go down very much. Maybe we're going to see that now with interest rates going up. Um, but uh, a big way that uh, 
prices could go down as if there were lower costs, then they wouldn't have to have as high a margins and the prices would go lower. So listen to Michael Kading and how he describes that uh, in a, a podcast interview that'll be coming out here very shortly. And then also coming up, we'll have an interview with Craig Martin. And Craig Martin is a family uh, wealth consulting group. Uh, they are now um, uh, partners with Four Star. He's an alternatives expert. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about alternative investing and how investors can do that very, very well through the use of a collective fund rather than individual investments. It's easier and simpler, less paperwork. Uh, so we'll be talking a little bit about that. So that's a mouthful, Chris. Uh, we have a lot, a lot, uh, lot, to, lot to see coming up. Uh, we have uh, a lot to be thankful for here on this Thanksgiving. And I uh, just want to wish everybody a great Thanksgiving. Spend time with your family. Enjoy it. Um, don't get too crazy. <laughs> and uh, we'll see everybody on the other side, right, Chris? Yep. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone out there. And uh, thank you for listening. And uh, yeah, have a good holiday. Thanks, everybody. We'll be back with another great episode of Today's Market Explained, uh, four-star media event, I like to say. Uh, we'll leave it there. Thanks, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, the best way you can support us is to leave a five-star review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And if you heard something here that someone else you know will find value from, please share the episode directly with them. Want us to answer your investing question directly on the next episode? Go to todaysmarketexplained.com, scroll all the way to the bottom, and submit your question. Please follow at Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube to see the best moment video clips from every episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and keep on growing out there, everyone.